I'm Emily Dilling, and this is the Peri Paysan Podcast. Today we're going to visit Marché d'Aligue with a local chef, talk about Scandinavian cuisine in Paris, and learn all about making your own kombucha. So let's head to the market. I met up with Teresa Murphy at Marché d'Aligue. Teresa is the founder of the site La Cucina de Teresa, where she shares her Italian-inspired seasonal vegetarian recipes. She also offers private cooking classes in her charming Parisian apartment. Teresa told me a little bit about why she loves Marché d'Aligue and who she likes to visit when she goes there. So I'm with Teresa Murphy of La Cucina de Teresa, who um, is actually responsible for me understanding and absolutely loving Marché d'Aligue. So we just did a little visit of the Marché and I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit more about why you love this market and maybe some particular aspects or vendors that are our favorites of yours. Well, I love the market because of one special specific vendor, um, Gilles Flao, F-L-A-H-A-U-T, who has a teeny weeny weeny stand on the middle, just actually outside the covered part of the, the market, um, and has lovely, lovely fresh seasonal produce all the time. Not necessarily organic, but uh, well tended, let's say. Other than that, it's the covered market that I like. My favorite Italian uh, epicerie, shall we say, is therein. Um, for cheese, it is the, the best, it has the largest selection. They do not wrap their cheeses up in plastic or cellophane or things like that. Um, they cut your Parmesan for you right then and there. Um, and uh, then there's the Grand Tri, which is a little mom-and-pop grain, seed, uh, bean, uh, pasta store um, that really is kind of like a mom-and-pop candy store that I remember from back in the early part of my childhood, the 50s, mid-50s, late-50s. Jose is a dear heart, and he tries to always have organic. Everything's in bulk. Um, he's got a great little, in the back room, a great little antique uh, kitchenware store. Teeny weeny, huh? You could fit it into your pocket almost. But anyway, that I love. There's also the wonderful uh, Maria, who has La Petite Epicerie, which is a... Um, uh, a Portuguese bodega, we could say. Um, she comes from the Algarve region of Portugal. She always has les arrivages, meaning sort of arrivals of fresh produce from that region, from the different uh, small farms that she knows, and she'll have things that are very, very Portuguese. Collards, for example, which don't exist in France. She always has the broccoli rabe, because that's also very um, popular in Portugal. That's really, those are my little cherished spaces at the Aligue marketplace. I think um, what thing, one thing you taught me about that Marche d'Aligue is that it's more than just what meets the eye when you go to the outdoor market, um, you see that's kind of what we associate with a, a Paris market. But um, actually, a, a lot of the treasures are kind of hidden within the covered market or on the sort of perimeter of that market. Um, so that's that's really important to note when we talk about Marché d'Aligue. Also, Ma Petite Pisserie, was always it's always fun to visit. And today they had a bunch of beautiful lemons and oranges and citrus fruit. And so um, I'm an avid reader of your blog. And I noticed recently that you posted about how to use um, every part of, of all of the 
produce that you use but particularly citrus fruit so can you talk a little bit more about that and some advice you have for someone who wants to use the whole citrus fruit Ah, yes, yes. Well, it's true. She still has, Maria, still has uh, oranges coming from, you can tell they come from somebody's backyard. They're puckered and (laughs) they don't look mean, but they, you know, they look like they've been living on the street a bit, shall we say. Beautiful. You touch them, you pull them in your hand and they're, you can tell how juicy and and sweet they are. Um, And the lemons she had, she had teeny weeny, some teeny weeny lemons, also the same thing. You can just tell that they come from a garden you know tree they're they're supple they're you know they're anything but shall we say cosmetically beautiful so I'll take them home and probably um, peel off the 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 this the peel in strips not with a vegetable peeler but simply by um, scoring it around maybe five six seven eight times cutting off the top and the bottom and then with my fingers or with the spoon digging between the the fruit the shall we say the the membrane of the fruit and and the peel and pulling it off and letting it dry and using it to make uh, tea uh, steeping it just to make tea with maybe some fresh rosemary or mint or anything else uh, around um, verbena, lemon verbena, etc. Um, with the the lemon, well, that I'll probably take these lemons home because they just look lovely and turn them into candied lemon. Huh? Um, and that once again is by peeling them. But here I'll peel them aviv, which means by simply taking a paring knife and cutting down along the uh, peel just inside the actual uh, lemon so that you end up with a bit of the lemon. Then you want to blanch them a few times and then cook them up with some simple syrup and then let them sort of dry a bit and then sprinkle granulated sugar on top of them and put them in a, or powdered sugar, and put them in a jar. I love, that sounds amazing. And I've, I've been lucky enough to taste your um, candy citrus peels before and they're gorgeous um so if someone who's listening wants to learn more about that or learn more about you or even perhaps um have a more intimate experience with your style of cooking how could they do that where could they find you and what are you up to this summer okay so they can go to my website which is la cucina di teresa dot com and there you can find out about my cooking classes uh, you can also go to my blog which is la cucina di teresa dot blogspot and you can there begin to read my unfolding book undressing vegetables this week there'll be a new post uh, around what to do with all your you know the pairings of your vegetables and your fruits or the the peels or the this and the that and uh, you could follow along as I also begin to um, place my recipes on uh, the blog and posts coming up Um, and this summer I'm in Paris if you happen to be here do feel free to come take a, a class or if you're here towards the end of August you could come down to uh the Loire Valley take a class and I would also take you to meet some of my favorite winemakers natural winemakers in the region and you could taste some of their beautiful beautiful juice great well I'll, de- I'll definitely put the links for the blog on the site thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Marche League with me today avec grand plaisir ma belle you can follow Teresa's unfolding book on her website lacucinadeteresa.com more information and a link to the site can be found on the Perry Paysan webpage. If you ask me, Café Smorgas is one of the city's best-kept secrets. 
Their delicious all-organic lunches are super affordable, and they have a great choice of craft coffee and juices to go with. Smorgas is also a cozy and fun place to spend your lunch break, and that's thanks to Chef Lena Boo, who brings her own sense of color and creativity to the cafe's food. I caught up with Lena to chat about her unique cooking style. So I'm with Lena from Cafe Smargus. Is that right? Smargus. <laughs> Smargus. Okay. Um, and thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Um, and one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because I love the way that you cook. And I love that it's creative cuisine. It's nourishing. It's always super visually appealing. And it's also not like super dogmatic in the sense that it's gluten-free or vegetarian like I feel like you do so much with seasonal ingredients without subscribing to like a specific diet and it's fun too like it's just super fun to eat um so I was wondering like kind of where your inspiration comes from obviously Scandinavian but also uh, you have a, a personal style as well with your cuisine so I was wondering maybe if you could talk about where that comes from and how you're inspired to to cook uh, thank you so much for saying that kind words. It really um, makes me super happy. Uh, I think for me, uh, when I cook, um, I really feel that it, it should be fun. It should be fun and uh, look really, you know, colorful. And it, like when you see the meal, you will be like, okay, I want to eat that, uh, first of all. And uh, what inspires me is I really love to work with local, like seasonal food. So what's in season, like the colors, what we feel like. If it's cold outside, we want to eat warm and like warming food and a lot of spices and, you know, all that. And when it's when it gets summer, we want to have fresh and uh, like really fresh herbs and all that. Uh, so I really play with that, seasonal thinking. And also, as it's really creative for me, that's what I love with cooking. It's like painting or writing and it's really something that... I want to create something that looks good, but also the taste itself has also like its uh, taste palette and all that. It's uh, to combine different uh, spices and all that. Uh, so it's really uh, like I really play with my uh, my eyes and like how it looks, but of course also the taste together. Um, and then I, I I really want people to that is something for everyone, uh, and that's also why I'm, I don't promote a certain like. You know, I don't say this is gluten-free, this is because I like, people know it. People that looks for gluten-free, people that looks for uh, vegan, they know it if they're <laughs> real vegans. No, sorry, but yeah. And I also like to work with combination that makes it complete, like um, that you have uh, enough protein in your, um, in your food, that you have uh, um, seeds and stuff that fills you up because uh, that's something I don't maybe I don't write it down or say it to everyone but I really work on that also as it's yeah it's something that I yeah I appreciate so yeah I think if, like if I were to choose two adjectives for, to describe the way that you cook I would say um, like nourishing like so it is sort of like you definitely have that complete meal it's simple as well but and also like expressive and I think that that's what people who like you said if someone's gluten-free they're that like they're going to see something that speaks to them and know that that's what is going to suit their body that's what they need to eat um and i feel like um the cafe is is not it's kind of like a, a well-kept secret and i think maybe some people who are listening haven't been there yet so could you give an example of maybe what either something you think is iconic that you know or typical of, of your menu or maybe what you're serving right now 
So, uh, first of all, it's a cafe that already exists uh, before I worked there. And the menu was created by uh, a Swedish uh, chef, Svante. Uh, so he created the menu and it's very, the classic Swedish, um, like that we call smörgås. It's a Swedish open sandwich, basically. Um, and so the basics of the menu he created and then um, I play around a lot and now for example if you come to my place and eat you can expect uh, everything is uh, everything is organic everything is seasonal I go with my bike and buy my vegetable vegetables <laughs> every week um, and for example there's a open sandwich with the salmon and um, there's one with hummus and avocado uh, everything is very everything we make every day so it's freshly um, made and uh, um, yeah there's four different sandwiches we also have introduced a second bread now because we have the rye bread typical swedish scandinavian bread uh, and there's another sourdough bread so it's more white for <laughs> the French people. They're like, oh, wait, this is a dark bread here. <laughs> Where's the baguette? Do you work with a local baker for that? Or? Yes, we do. Uh, because my kitchen is like, it's tiny. <laughs> I don't have an oven. So we have a, we work with an organic bakery that does the recipes for us. Um, so that's super good. We, they're really good. They make delicious uh, recipes. So, um, so I get the bread every morning. I can't bake it myself, unfortunately. But it's, uh, we work with them. And then we make the, in the winter we make the soup and in the summer we make uh, like a taboule, like a Nordic uh, taboule with a different, uh, like buckwheat or we have oats, we have uh, barley and we make a salad from it. And we also recently, now just two weeks, three weeks ago, started to make juices. So you can also have fresh juices. And every week I combine, um, yeah, a juice. Um, so last week, for example, was uh, with beetroot, apple and lemon. And next week, oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> Watermelon and basilic. It's super nice. It's the season for that. And so, yeah. yeah summer comes to Smorgas. Yes. It's so great. Yes. It's super exciting. It's really hard to think of that cafe without you. And I know you've only been there for, I'm not sure how long, but it's a short time. But um, before that, or like, what's some, what are some of the other projects that you have um, that came before Smorgas or that you're still working on? Because I know that you have a lot going on. Uh, yeah, I... I'm work. I've been working for uh, yeah a few years now on a book, my book that I want to um, continue on that I want to, but it's there and I that's one of the projects I have on the side and it's a book uh, with recipes um, and also a lot of uh, nutritional facts uh, combined with like yoga and the mindfulness because I think that for me. Like a book, uh, I, honestly, I never look like uh, really into recipes, like with just um, the ingredients and all that. I love uh, the pictures, the photos, to be inspired by something and then out of that create something. So this book is uh, my, like my idea is to have a book with a lot of beautiful photos that inspires you in the kitchen, but also in life, like lifestyle. It's a lifestyle book with the recipes, of course, and it's very simple recipes. I love to work simple, easy, uh, not super expensive or take a long time uh, it's the recipes that I've been you know using for many years working as a therapist also a nutritional therapist so um, yeah that's another project that is still there and then there's always project that I, um, I used to I do granola for certain pop-up things and my granola seems to people seem to like that so that's fun <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, my homemade chocolate. That's also another thing you can eat in the cafe. I make my own chocolate with, uh, yeah, with natural, uh, it's sweetened with honey and uh, yeah, and then it's organic cacao and butter and different tastes like vanilla and almonds and yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll be sure to come in and visit you more often, especially now that you have juice and chocolate. Yes. That's so great. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Lena. Thank you so much, Emily. So nice. <laughs> you can keep up with Lena by visiting her blog, mytasteofhealth.com. You can also see what's happening at Cafe Smorgas by following them on Instagram, at Cafe Smorgas. Summer weather has arrived in Paris, and outdoor seating is at a premium. While Parisians tend to favor rosé or sparkling wine as a form of refreshment, foodie underground founder Anna Bronas has another suggestion for cooling down, a fresh batch of homemade kombucha, or hippie bubbles as she calls them. I spoke with Anna about the health benefits of this fizzy tea, as well as how to make it at home. Okay, so I'm with Anna Bronas. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about kombucha today. And Anna, I think that um, your kombucha mother is actually related to my kombucha mother. Is that right? It definitely is. So when we talk about the mother, um, we're talking about that, that fungus um, that sits uh, in the kombucha, similar to how vinegar is made. Uh, there's a, a fungus in there that basically eats up the sugar um, in, the, in the tea, and that's what turns it into a carbonated drink. So that's that fermentation process. Okay, yeah. Do we call it scooby as well? I like calling it a mother because what's cute is that as as that eats up the sugar and whatever, it grows bigger. And then what you can do is you can actually peel that off and give it to someone else, which is then a baby. So I sort of like the mother-baby reference. Why don't we break it down for people who don't know kombucha or have never made it before? What are the basic elements and the basic process to making a kombucha tea? Sure. So uh, kombucha is a fermented drink. Uh, It's fermented tea. Uh, and it is made from basically brew tea with sugar, so it's quite sweet. And then you put that in with the mother, and then you let it steep um, for usually about seven to ten days, which allows for the fermentation period. And during that time, then the mother then eats up that sugar and turns that into this carbonated drink. It's full of probiotics, really good for you, full healthy stuff um, in our sort of modern standard processed foods (laughs) that we eat, um, a diet full of that. We don't have a lot of bacteria in our systems anymore, and so that's why um, for your microbiome, as it's called, um, it's really good to have uh, fermented foods because they provide a lot of these bacteria that we really need. Um, and most of us in the Western world with like lots of refined sugars and white flour, um, that's really bad for our stomachs. And um, so probiotic and for ba- fermented foods are really really healthy for you. So that's why a lot of people get really excited about kombucha. Um, so yeah, so it's so it's fermented sits there for about seven to ten days and then you you filter out that tea Um, you leave the mother in there you leave a little bit of the fermented drink in the container and then you can make a new batch Um, so that's the basics of it cool yeah and I think um, with the sort of probiotic trend we see kombucha um, for sale in a lot of like co-ops or you know natural food stores Um, and it's something that's one of those things that's so simple to make and something you can it do on your own very easily that I think um, it's kind of empowering to know how to do that and also a lot less expensive and also um, there's a way if you want to get creative with it to do second fermentations right can you talk a little bit about that 
Sure. So I think when people that have bought purchased kombucha before in stores, they're really used to seeing these different flavors, you know, like gingerade and berry fizz or whatever fancy things the natural food stores have these days. Um, but that stuff's actually really easy to do at home. So basically, like I said before, you do this initial fermentation about seven to 10 days it can be longer if you want it to. Um, and then what you do is you bottle that up in a clean glass bottle and then you can put anything really you want berries I mean summer's a really great time because we have lots of berries accessible at the markets right now so um, you know things like raspberries work great apples work great um, citrus zest works really great anything really um, you can play around with those flavors and you put that directly in the bottle with the with the fermented drink and then you let that sit in a cold uh, place um, just for a few days, maybe about three to four, and then you can filter that out. So the idea of filtering it out is just that you don't want these fruit particles sitting in there for a longer period of time because they get kind of gross. Um, so you filter that out and then you basically have a flavored kombucha. So when people talk about making flavored kombuchas, that's what they're talking about. And that's that second fermentation, um, which references the second period of fermentation that you're doing with it. Cool. And so it looks like you brought some kombucha here with us that I think um, to my eyes looks like you did a second fermentation with. Is that right? Well, I started to. So this kombucha actually has was sitting in the container for quite a long time. So it's probably going to be a little bit on the vinegary side. And I just popped a sprig of lemon verbena in there because I have a lemon verbena plant at home. And But I just did that this morning. So it's not going to be crazy lemon verbena flavored. But I really like lemon verbena and I use that a lot in second fermentation because I think it adds a nice little citrus flavor to the kombucha. Should we have a taste? Yeah, let's do it. And like I said, I think this one's going to be a little bit vinegary because it sat for a long time. But the really great thing about kombucha is that you can always use it for other things. Um, if you feel like it's too strong to drink, it can be really great in vinaigrettes, for example. You can use it as a base for cocktails. Um, you can, I've even made bread with it because it, since it has that, it's that yeasty, fizzy, fermented thing, it's essentially sort of um, like using a, a sourdough starter or also if you've ever seen people doing um, uh, bread made with beer, it's a very similar thing because you get that carbonated, um, fermented thing that helps then with the rise of the dough. So that's kind of fun to do. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you really can just mix it with anything. Yeah, I like that idea of um, potentially using it with cocktails. I was talking to Forrest on an earlier podcast about drinking vinegars and, and I've just had a sip of this kombucha and it is a little on the sort of bitter side, but um, I could yeah, definitely see it adding a, a different layer to a mixed drink or to like a salad dressing, something like that. Yeah, I think this one's actually quite funky. Uh, like I wouldn't serve this to someone that's never had kombucha before because they would probably run away screaming. Um, but this would be perfect for a vinaigrette, like you said. So just, I would maybe mix it with some mustard um, or maybe even just with some pesto. You could make a really nice um, pesto vinaigrette with that. Um, and I always tell people with kombucha, like don't be afraid to be creative. I think people get really afraid because it's a living thing. They get afraid that they're gonna destroy it or they're gonna kill it. And honestly, the beauty of it is that it's a living thing and it's a pretty resistant strong living thing so as long as you use really good ingredients and you're using clean uh, utensils and stuff clean glass jar that kind of thing to make it in you really have to work hard to really really ruin it and if you do ruin it you just start over so I'll put a recipe up on the blog for your kombucha methods but also um, I think we can find it on your site do you want to talk a little bit about where we can find more information and also learn more about what you're doing 
Sure. So I run a site called Foodie Underground, um, and that's a site uh, that's all about real food for real people. So it's all about eating locally, sustainably, seasonally, um, obviously a few exotic ingredients here and there. Uh, but I'll have a sort of kombucha 101 guide that talks about brewing kombucha, but then also sort of the fun things you can do in the second fermentation, as well as different uses for kombucha once you've made it. Well, well thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today, Anna. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. Check out Anna's website, foodieunderground.com, for more Kombucha 101, as well as a wealth of information on real food for real people. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Perry Paysan podcast. Thanks to Teresa, Lena, and Anna for taking the time to talk. Thanks to Ben Narrow for the original theme music, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes to make sure you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review, too. If you liked what you heard and want to learn more, why not pre-order my book, My Paris Market Cookbook. It has more information on Marché d'Alique and Café Smorgas, as well as an original recipe from Teresa. Tune in next time to the Perry Paysan Podcast.